Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. Good morning. <laughs> Some of us have not met face-to-face or been introduced to each other, so let me begin. My name is Angela Alvarado. I am the discipleship pastor here at College Church. Do me a favor, when you see me around, at least for the next several months, would you just say, hey, my name is, so that I can begin to do better about learning names. I am a relational person, and so I am starving to death to know who you are. (laughs) I have a question for you. The Lord has laid on my heart today this message, and I am so excited to share it with you. Not because it's an easy message to preach, but because I believe that the Lord wants us to hear it today. So let me ask you, have you ever had anyone pray for you? Some of us know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have had someone pray for us. Maybe it's parents, grandparents, perhaps it was a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or our friends. We know they prayed for us because they told us so. And we're convinced in some cases that their prayers are the ones that led us to come to church, that even led us to our faith in Jesus Christ. There have been others who have prayed for us in moments when we needed interceding for healing, for diseases and illnesses that we were suffering from. And there are cases in which we have needed the prayers of people for provision when the finances were just not there. Stephen and I, my husband and I, have faced those moments when we both lost our jobs. We needed the people of God to pray for us, and they did. And that is what sustained us and helped us in those most difficult times. Others of us might be unsure if we have ever been prayed for in general, let alone specifically by name. If you have given your email or contact information on a connect card that's in your pew before, I want you to know that you have been prayed for. The pastors and the staff here have taken time to call out to God on your behalf. So you have been prayed for whether you know it or not. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard someone pray for you? Think back for a minute. For some of us, that's a long journey. <laughs> Think back for a minute. Have you ever heard someone around, kneeling around the altar when you went to pray that laid their hands on you and you heard them pray out loud for you? Is there a friend or a loved one that saw your distress and they broke out into prayer spontaneously on your behalf at just the right time? Can you remember the words? How did those prayers make you feel? Returning to seminary after years and years of being away from the classroom was a daunting experience for me. I was already ordained and I kept arguing with the Lord, why do I need to do this? I don't even understand it. But even in those moments, I was unsure that I had the brain power. I'm pretty certain I didn't have the willpower at that time. And I'm positive that I didn't have the nerve until the Lord gave it to me to dig in and to do the work that seminary would require. But despite my doubts, 
I just could not get away from the fact that God was calling me to do it. He was calling me to go to seminary. There were some really incredibly difficult personal and familial hardships and distresses during that time and doubts that entered in that just kind of piled on top of the seminary work. In my very first seminary class, God placed a woman by the name of Gloria in my class. Gloria is a Wesleyan pastor, and at that time, she was serving with her husband as a co-pastor in her home country of Kenya. And at that time, Stephen and I were co-pastoring in our second church plant in Indianapolis with two other pastors. And although Gloria and I were from different countries, and we were from different cultures, this unlikely pair, her and I, became friends. And we also became prayer partners. Even to this day, and um, I haven't counted the hours, but tonight at 9 o'clock, we're going to meet again. And I'm looking forward to it. In some of the most difficult seasons, God uses us in each other's lives through prayer. Gloria and I would meet on WhatsApp. We do that regularly because that's the most convenient and economical way for us to be able to meet together. And we spend dedicated time praying for each other, for our families, for our ministries that we are doing, and in that season, for our seminary work. When I was struggling and I didn't have enough faith to believe that I could do it, or even know how to pray, Gloria called on God on my behalf. And then I would do the same for her in her moments of distress. Listening to someone pray for us is so impactful. Through someone's prayer on our behalf, we may find comfort that we didn't have before. As we eavesdrop a little bit on their prayer, we may just learn something about God or even ourselves. That intercessory prayer may unlock our stinking thinking. Do you have stinking thinking? I think we all do from time to time. In those moments when we are doubting to believe that God heard that prayer, and if he'll answer our cries, the prayer of someone else for, other, for us oftentimes gives us courage to keep going. John chapter 17 is John's eyewitness account of the prayer Jesus prayed for his first disciples and the timeless prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples yet to come in all generations. Jesus' prayer was an intentional time of intercession for those he loved and those that he called his friends. Just before his arrest, Jesus sat around the table with them. He washed their feet. He ate a meal with them, and he engaged them in an extended conversation. He wanted them to be present with him and to hear every single word he had to say. Not one of the 12 were left out, but there was one that did opt out. During the meal, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Judas chose to follow his own path and follow a way of evil and betrayal of our Lord. Jesus' prayer was not just intercession, but it was revelation. He prayed, Father, the hour has come. 
It was the hour Jesus was waiting for. And it was the hour that the world was waiting for, but they just didn't know it. It was the moment when Jesus would glorify, the son would glorify God the Father. Jesus' suffering, death, resurrection, and return to the Father was just on the horizon. They couldn't see it yet. But the passion of Jesus Christ would be the unfolding revelation of God's salvation plan for the world. And although they didn't fully understand everything, the words that Jesus had been given to teach them, they accepted. What Jesus had told them about the Father, they believed. Their simple faith and their willingness to unite themselves with Jesus brought glory to him and united them with the Father. Jesus prayed also for their protection. The world was then, and it is now, an evil place. At this point, they knew some of the dangers that they would face. They'd been with Jesus for a while, and they could feel the tensions rising. But soon, they were going to see with their eyes and experience fully how dangerous the world could become. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life had come to live among them in the world, and the world rejected him. It was a place that's built on fulfilling its own desires and agendas and clinging to its own truth instead of receiving Jesus, the word of life. Those living in the world were intolerant of Christ's message in the kingdom that he brought. And soon Jesus was going to die at the hands of an evil world so that he might save it. Later in John chapter 17, verse 14, it says, Jesus said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. The disciples' acceptance of God's word and Jesus himself made them targets for the world's hatred. While Jesus was with them on earth, his name and his presence protected them and united them as Jesus was bringing God's kingdom to earth. But once Jesus would return to the Father, they would need protection in Jesus' name from the evil one. As they challenged the world's indifference and the world's rebellion against God, on their mission in the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were going to face suffering and persecution and perhaps even temptation to walk away. Therefore, Jesus prayed for their protection, not so much their physical bodies, because we see evidence throughout history that some of them met untimely deaths in ways that are hard to speak about. Jesus, I think, was really praying for the protection of their unity. Tolerance of sin and allegiance to the world would not be the culture of God's people. Those disciples had embraced Jesus and they were changed. Unifying love for God and for one another and allegiance to the way, the truth, and the life would be the way that Christ's followers were to live in God's kingdom. Unity for the disciples and followers of Christ was important. It was so important that Jesus not only prayed for them to have unity, but he also prayed for us as well. In our lectionary reading today, we only read a portion of chapter 17. 
However, I want to read just a few more verses so that you can hear the prayer that Jesus prayed for you and for me. And it says, my prayer for, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved you. Jesus prayed for unity for us as his followers then and now, as it was important and vital for making the Father known. Jesus prayed for us because... To be truthful, unity isn't easy for us to acquire on our own. We are uniquely created by God in the time and places in which we live. And we come from different perspectives and different walks of life. Some of us grew up on farms. Some of us grew up in cities. Some of us work manual labor jobs and some of us do academic work. We all come from different walks of life. Our ways of thinking and living and responding are influenced by the age in which we live and the culture in which we live. Even the families from where we come still influence us. When we think about the 12 disciples, we know they had some things in common. They were all Jewish. The 12 disciples were men, and they all had been chosen to follow Christ. Yet they were different. While we don't know the details about all 12, there are a few that we do know some details about. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they were fishermen, blue-collar workers. They spent hours every day doing hard work to provide for their families. Matthew was a white-collar worker, a tax collector, an IRS agent of his day. He spent his days and he was despised by the Jews for collecting taxes from Rome. And those who worked in that profession, they were considered professional extortionists and traitors to their nation. Simon, we don't know what his profession was, but we do know some of his interests. Simon was a member of the radical Jewish sect called the Zealots. The Zealots were fanatical about Jewish law and they were opposed to Roman rule, so much so that they looked for ways to overthrow the Roman government. Simon must have been a passionate man with very strong opinions to be part of such a group, don't you think? Jesus took these men from different occupations and varying convictions. Some of them already were known as natural sworn enemies, and yet he brought them together. He brought them together to unite them and use them for God's purposes. But it wasn't easy. James and John's mother, she went to Jesus early in the ministry and she said to Jesus, would you put my sons in places of honor when you are made king? Well, as you suspect, the 10 overheard what she had to say and they were having none of it. They were angry. They didn't like what they had to say. And instead of being mad at their, at, his mo- at their mother, they were mad at James and John too. 
Luke records in his gospel that during the Last Supper together that the disciples um, had an argument that broke out among them. Can you imagine what it was? The disciples wanted to know who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and they were trying to broker and negotiate and comment who they thought it should be. On their own, the disciples could not have unity on any issue. It just wasn't easy to achieve. They thought that they were going to be the ones that would be the greatest. And when you think like that, you can't be unified. So it's no wonder that Jesus prayed for, him, prayed for them and asked for their unity. Can you think back to any decision you've made, maybe with your family, maybe in your workplace, or even here at church? Did you arrive at a unanimous decision immediately? Maybe I should ask, did you arrive at a unanimous decision at all? Unity, even in a simple conversation or a simple decision such as where and what we will eat for our next meal, it can be difficult to achieve. Some of us want McDonald's, others of us want to go to Outback. We have varying tastes and opinions that makes it hard for us to be unified. When we become followers of Christ, we need God's help to bring unity to our lives. We need his help to um, help our thinking and our living and our responding to be his way and his kingdom. We need him to shape us and sanctify us so that we can truly love him and we can truly love others as he's called us to do. As God sanctifies us, he empowers us for his mission and he unites us in building his kingdom and making him known in the world. <clears throat> Jesus prayed for our unity knowing we needed God's help to live as one with him and one with each other. Jesus also prays for us because Unity isn't easy in an evil and divided culture. Throughout scripture, we've been given glimpses of just how evil the world could be. Go all the way back to the beginning of your Bible in Genesis chapter four, and we see Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel were offering sacrifices to God. God, for whatever reason, in his omnipotence and his um, purposes, he chose Abel's above Cain's. And that made Cain jealous. And in that jealous rage, he went out and he murdered his brother Abel. And despite the Lord's warning to him previously, God had said to him, sin's crouching at your door. You have to rule over it. Just two chapters later in Genesis chapter six, we're told that the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And despite the flood that came, Eventually, through those people that survived the flood, evil crept back in. In scripture, we see nations and kings that war and rage. They're conquering others and subjugating them to lives of slavery and servitude. Think about in our modern history. There are atrocities in our world that can be labeled as nothing else but evil. There have been genocides. There is hate crimes and sex trafficking and more that point to evil and are driven by hate and selfishness. And it seeks to divide and conquer those based on culture, oftentimes race, age, 
gender, and more. This kind of behavior is evil full-blown. Most of the time, however, evil is much more subtle. It doesn't lead with a full-blown version of itself or the plan that it has. Instead, it just kind of sneaks in there. And it says to us, be independent. Seek your own happiness. And look to yourself for the answers. Rather than trusting God for all that we need, evil seeks to divide us from the very one that we love, not unite us to the giver of life. Evil invites us to cancel those who don't agree with us. Instead of inviting them to sit around the table with us and have a conversation, evil wants us to cut them off and say, I don't hear you or what you have to say. Our evil culture thrives in our division. Jesus prayed for our unity, knowing we needed God's help to live as one with him and one with each other in this evil world with a divided culture. You know, Jesus ultimately prays for us because unity isn't easy, but it's necessary. Unity isn't easy, but it's necessary so that the world may see and know God. The world is looking for something and someone who can satisfy the longings of their hearts. They just don't know that it's God that they're longing for. In church, how will they know if we aren't unified and don't show them the way? Pew Research has found that in our cultural that we have had a cultural divide that has more than doubled in the last 15 years. Think of that. 15 short years and it's more than doubled. And unfortunately, that downtrending stat includes the church. Politics, economic unrest, pandemics, special interests, and even my interests can't help us find common ground. Our social policies and our ideologies can never fully encapsulate the kingdom of God, much less make us wholly united. Our contributions to healing the increasing divide that is in our world is for us to live as disciples who follow the way of Christ and follow his example. We have to be committed to the good of others and to seek unity even when we disagree. Our unity with God and each other is necessary. It's a necessary sign that the kingdom that Jesus brought to this earth is something truly different than the world has to offer. This unified way of living is subversive to the culture in which we live. As disciples follow Jesus' example of self-giving love, the world takes notice. When the unity and mutual love that we have for each other is practiced, it has the potential of bringing people to faith. Yeah. Acts chapter 2, there's a little familiar story towards the end of that chapter. And I think this is one of the answers the Father gave to Jesus' prayer for the disciples' unity. And it reads like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed 
by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Did you catch that? The unity of the early Christians with self-giving devotion to God's word, prayer, and each other, it transformed their world. And many were saved. Church, if we're being honest, we don't think about unity very often. I mean, unless there's a glaring issue that's right in front of us, we don't think about unity. We wish for it when things are not good and we're divided. And I'm also not sure that we consistently think about ways that we can practice unity with each other. Before something becomes a glaring issue, maybe we ought to take time and consider our relationships with God and with each other so that we can see if there are any fracture lines that have formed. Maybe we could take some time to think about how we could unpoison a relationship where long-time offenses have invaded that relational space. Perhaps it's time to make a change and start once again aligning ourselves with the heart and the word of God. Here are some questions that I came up with to ask myself, and I'm going to ask you to join me this morning as I think about these questions. And the very first question that I'm thinking about I want us to think about relationally, but I also want us to think out through these, how we can practice unity, perhaps. Am I devoted to spending time with God in his word, reading his word, praying, listening for him to speak to me? I can't love God and I can't love others if my spiritual tank is empty or my well is dry. Is there someone I spoke harshly to, or maybe I've offended, that I need to apologize to? Who is hurting or in need that I can serve this week? Putting ourselves in someone else's places has a way of humbling us, and it may just teach us to live and love each other in Christ a little bit better. Have I made time to have a meal? Share a cup of coffee with someone from the body of Christ here at College Church or someone in the broader body of Christ so that the sole purpose of being together is not some meeting agenda, but it's for us to get to know each other just a little bit better. It's hard to have unity when we are strangers to one another. Jesus prayed for our unity. He knew knew that we needed God's help to live as one with him, one with each other, in an evil and a divided culture. If our unity needs some help, there's good news. We can join Jesus in prayer and ask God to make us unified. Jesus, he prayed for our unity because it's deeply needed and it's desperately necessary so that the world might see and they might know God. 
It's time to get busy, church, and do the hard work. Others are watching us, and they're depending on us. This morning, we have the opportunity to practice unity together. And we're going to practice that through taking the Lord's Supper with one another. As we gather around the table and we partake of the bread and the cup, we will remember Christ's sacrifice and give thanks for the new covenant Christ established. We will come together in unity, waiting in hope for Christ's return, where we will be forever united with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and with the broader body of Christ. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks. And he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. I see already some of you have found the baskets with the elements there. If you haven't, would you make sure that you reach out to your neighbor and get one? The altar is open, and as I pray, if you want to come and take communion around the altar, you're welcome to do so this morning. Let us pray. Holy Father, we are grateful that we can gather together and practice the unity which Jesus prayed for and that you make possible for us. Thank you, Father, for the Son, Jesus Christ, who came to preach the good news, proclaim release to captives, and set liber at liberty those who were oppressed. We're grateful for the healing that he did the hungry that he fed. And Lord, he still does that today through us, his church. Lord, we live in the hope that your son will come again. So we gather together today as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your spirit upon us and on these, your gifts, the cup, and the bread. May they be the body and blood of Christ for us and to us, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your spirit that makes us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ broken for you. May it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. May the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful.
You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnais, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.